Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Galatians, chapter 5. And I have been eager to share this message today. It's not your typical Father's Day message at all. Happy Father's Day to the fathers. We're continuing on in the the book of Galatians. Uh, But it does have probably the most important teaching. It does have the most important teaching in the whole Bibles. And, And so, fathers, if we can live out this teaching, this world will radically change. And the teaching is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the main point of this whole text today. That is the most important command of the whole Bible. And I would say it's the hardest one to keep, for sure. And so let's pray and ask for God's help today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we desperately need you right now. We desperately need a great work of your Holy Spirit in our lives right now. And so, God, just cry out to you, Lord, and pray and ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill each heart in this room. Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Change our hearts today, Lord. If there's anyone here that hasn't trusted in you, Jesus, for their salvation, I pray that they would do that right now in this time. And for those of us that have, Lord, teach us to love. Teach us, Lord, to love you more, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love each other, Lord, our neighbor, as ourself. We desperately, desperately need you, Father, and so we cry out to you now, and we thank you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Now we saw last time that we who by faith have trusted Christ for salvation, we're no longer slaves to sin and the elementary principles of this world. But we've been adopted as children according to God's faithful promise. We have received the Spirit of God and are his children through faith. We are children of promise. We saw this whole comparison, slave versus son. Slave versus son or daughter or child of God. So we're no longer slaves to the world. We're children of God, those who have trusted in Christ. We are free children of the free woman, according to the allegory Paul provided at the end of chapter 4. Christ has set us free from the bondage of sin slavery, and death. Now, in our text in chapter 5, we see Paul expand on this truth of Christian freedom. The idea is like a bookend to our text. It starts at verse 1 and ends at verse 13, this idea of freedom in Christ or Christian freedom. And in the middle, we see Paul's stinging attack on those who were leading others to law-keeping and circumcision for the purpose of enhancing their relationship with God. His stinging attack on those who would lead you back into the bondage of slavery that you have been set free from. We'll see that our freedom in Christ is for one sole purpose, and that purpose is to love. We are free from slavery to sin and selfishness 
for the purpose of loving and serving others. Christ set us free through his love, and so through his love, we are able to keep the greatest commandment of all, which is to love our neighbor as ourself. So we'll read the text, chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, and then we'll work through it together. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So let's start at verse 1. And if you like to take notes and have an outline, the first point would be this. Stand firm in your freedom in Christ. Stand firm in your freedom in Christ. It says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You are free. You are free through faith in Jesus. And what the law could not do, God did through Christ and his spirit. Romans 8 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who in Christ are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and of death. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and there is freedom. That's 2 Corinthians 3. Brothers and sisters, Christ has set you free, so be filled with with his spirit, and stand firm in your freedom. Don't go back to a yoke of slavery to sin and legalism. That's our teaching for today. Peter had spoken about an unbearable yoke in Acts chapter 15. He was referring to the yoke of the law, including its many regulations and man-made traditions added by religious leaders. And under that yoke, Israel had groaned. They weren't able to bear it. And Jesus knew this was a, a burden and a yoke of slavery. And so he invites us to come to him and be freed from it. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's Matthew 11. And so, brothers and sisters, biblical Christianity isn't a set of rules and regulations and laws to, that we submit to as, as, as a yoke of bondage that we dread. That's not what it's about at all. It's about coming to Jesus, trusting in him, resting in him, in our souls. We find rest for our souls through faith in Jesus. Christianity is not a laundry list of things to do or how you should wear your clothes or what you should watch or how you should talk. No, if, if, that's, if that's what it's like for you, you're missing everything. You got it all wrong. So we open our text today with the command to stand firm in our freedom. You are free. We don't become a slave again to legalism. And we'll see that this freedom in Christ ultimately, ultimately leads us to love and to serve others. Look at verse 2. Next point, legalism gains you nothing. And I'll say that again. Legalism gains you nothing. Look at verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Look at the emphatic language he's using here. Look, listen, I, Paul, say to you, he identifies himself once again in the text. Pay attention to this. Listen up, people. If you trust in circumcision for your salvation, then Christ is nothing to you. Completely meaningless. Now, circumcision had meaning in Israel when it was a physical symbol of a cleansed heart. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 30 and Jeremiah 4. It also served as a reminder of God's covenant of salvation promise. We saw that in Genesis 17. But that's not what's going on here. No, the Judaizers were teaching that circumcision was necessary to be identified as a child of Abraham and be accepted into their community. That is a lie. That's a lie. It's just not true. The atoning sacrifice of Christ cannot benefit anyone who trusts in law and ceremony for salvation. The two are mutually exclusive. Now, since the Galatians were already yielding to the Judaizers in the matter of observing days and months and seasons and years, we read about that at the beginning of chapter 4, the danger was great that they would also yield in the matter of circumcision. And this would change their whole religion to nothing more than a ritual with a little Christian nuance to it. And so this we also must avoid in the church today. Lots of good works with a little bit of Jesus on the side isn't going to get it done. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel at all. Jesus is central. Faith in him is central. The good works are a fruit of an overflow of love 
from our hearts, not the other way around. And so if you strive to keep the law for justification before God, if you come to God and say, look at how good I am, God. I go to church. I give a tithe of all that I have. I help the poor. I do all these things. If you show up before God with that type of attitude, ain't going to cut it. All of your greatest works, the Bible says, are like filthy rags in his sight. It's only through the blood of Jesus and faith in him that you'll be justified before God. That's the only way. Plus, it's simply impossible to keep the entire law. It says right there in verse 3, if you're going to lean on the law, if you're going to depend on the law for justification, you had better do it completely. And that's just impossible. James chapter 2 says this, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become legally guilty of it all. You, you stumble in one point. You could walk around saying, well, I never killed anybody, and I never stole anything, and well, Jesus says, uh, well, I never committed adultery, and Jesus says, well, if you looked on a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery, so you're guilty of adultery. And you say you've never lied. Well, I know you've lied, so now you're a liar. Right? So the list starts to go on and on. So you're guilty of it all. You're, you're hopeless. You have no hope without Christ. And verse 4 says this, if, if legalism is your desire, you are severed from Christ. There's this cutting language used here. You're cut off, you're severed from Christ. In the Greek, it really means you're, you're alienated or you're estranged, you're cut off. Now, obviously, the Judaizers and their disciples, they didn't for a moment believe that the requirement of circumcision involved their alienation from Christ. No, they thought it was a good thing. They thought it was an enhancement. It's Jesus 2.0. We're going to upgrade the gospel. It's the gospel 2.0. Like, if you just had the gospel plus this, boy, you'd really have the full enchilada. And they had it all wrong. You cannot mingle the grace of Christ with the merit of works. It doesn't hold up. It's nothing. Now, so this begs the question, if these people accept circumcision, will they lose their salvation? Is that possible? Can someone literally be cut off from Christ and lose their salvation? Well, we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8. We know that those who God chooses for salvation can never lose it. We know that nothing can snatch true children of God from his hand, John chapter 10. Now these who are severed from Christ and fallen away from grace are those who are not saved to begin with, is all we can think here. You cannot lose your salvation. So if there are any of these who he's warning, that go ahead and take the next step and say, no, I'm signing up for this circumcision thing. I'm, I'm going to do it all the way. Then they were probably never saved to begin with. They were probably always trusting in their own works their salvation they tasted and seen that God is good and then chose another path of legalism instead of walking in faith and these in Galatia were desperately close to doing this and so Paul gives them another stern warning not to do that so that's point number two legalism gains you nothing Next point is that faith working through love is what really matters. 
faith working through love is what really matters. Look at verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. We see here that true Christians obtain righteousness through the Holy Spirit by faith. We receive it positionally in Christ when we believe in him. We will receive it perfectly and completely in our lives when we are in his presence. And so we eagerly await his coming, as we saw in the psalm today. We eagerly wait for it. The time when you and I will see him face to face. I long for that day. And the older I get, the more I long for it. Oh. And we see once again here in verse 6, the physical act of circumcision, it absolutely means nothing. It gives us no hope of righteousness at all. And what really matters, I'll say it again, is faith working through love. Faith works. It becomes effective. It proves its genuine character by means of love and good deeds. We see in James 2 that by works, faith is made perfect. So Paul and James are in complete agreement. They're in complete agreement. And here in Galatians 5 and 6, faith is intimately connected with love, so much so that Paul could say the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's all that matters. <clears throat> so faith working through love is what really matters. Next point, watch out for false teaching, verse 7. Watch out for false teaching. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Why would I still be persecuted? And that the case of the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Whoa. Yikes. Them strong words, Paul. But we can see seeking justification through law-keeping is not the gospel of Christ, and certainly did not come from Paul. If it did, he wouldn't be persecuted for his preaching. And almost everywhere he showed up to preach, they tried to kill him. They would beat him. They would pick up stones and literally pound him with stones and carry him outside the city like he was dead. He says, I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. And so the teaching didn't come from him. And he uses the illustration in verse 9 of leaven to show just how a little bit of bad teaching spreads through a whole congregation or a whole church, just like yeast does through a lump of dough. <clears throat> That's what leaven is. It's like yeast. And it spreads. <clears throat> and isn't this how it goes? You know, the gospel is just so simple. It can't be enough. I mean, it can't be enough. So you need a little bit more because we get bored with the gospel. 
It's like it, we, we put it on the shelf. It's like, yeah, I got that. I got that. that that's simple. I, I always understand that. But don't I need a, just a little bit more? And then charismatic folks come along who are so winsome and charming and intelligent in their speech, and they'll tell you, yes, Jesus is great, but you need just a little bit more. If you just had this, or if you just did this, or if you just followed this program, or if you just came to our church, then you'd have the true church. You hear them use words like that. You have the true salvation. We do church the way the Bible teaches in. They're so sincere and they're so winsome. And then the next thing you know, you're signed up to this list of things that you've got to comply with. And then that spreading, that, that teaching spreads because it makes you feel good about yourself. You start feeling pride. Yeah, I did it. I do follow the list. Faith in Jesus, check. Wear this certain kind of clothes, check. Worship at this time of the day on Sunday morning, check. Go to Sunday school, check. You know, all these things, serving the child care, check. Now I got all this list, and the list goes on and on and on. And you start feeling really good about yourself. Pride starts welling up within your heart. And so it's easy for that to spread because we want to brag about ourselves, don't we? Hey, look at all the things I do. Look how good I am. You don't say it like that because that sounds like an egomaniac. So you say it a little bit differently. Look at this great thing I found. And so that spreads. And, oh, hey, I'm interested in that. I, sign me up. How do I do that? I want to be good like that. And then another and another and another. And it spreads like yeast through a lump of dough. So he says, watch out for that. That's not coming from God. So as soon as you feel pride start to well up in your soul over great things that you're doing for God, you better check that. Check that and be careful about that. Because we're not freed, we're not set free to do what we want and build up pride in our hearts. No, we are set free to, through love, serve each other, humble ourselves. That's why we're set free. And so that, that teaching of circumcision and legalism and law keeping, that did not come from God. It came from these Judaizers. And Paul in verse 12, I mean, it's a shocking, stinging statement. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Goodness. He's basically saying that if those who teach circumcision are so confident of its importance, they shouldn't stop at the foreskin. No, they should just cut themselves off completely. What a graphic image. It's terrible. Uh, it's a painful topic. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna, I don't want to talk about it anymore. We're gonna, let's move on and talk about love and freedom instead. Verse 13, through love serve one another. Verse 13, <clears throat> for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So in these verses we see we are free to love and to serve, not to sin by biting and devouring each other. What does this command to love really mean? What does this kind of love and service look like practically? I've been thinking a lot about that. And every time I see the command to love your neighbor as yourself, I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10. 
This parable gives us a practical application of what God intended when he taught us to love our neighbor as ourselves. So go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10, verse 25. <clears throat> this is what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Love to hear those Bible pages turning. Come to Living Hope, bring your Bible, man. We're all in our Bibles here. <laughs> <clears throat> Luke chapter 10, verse 25, says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, this is Jesus talking, What is written in the law? How, how do you read it? And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, don't we all? We're always working to justify ourselves, aren't we? Said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And, and that's what I want us to key in on right now. Who is my neighbor? Because I tell you what, most of us think our neighbor are the people that we like. And it's a lot more than that. Because it's easy to love the people that love us, isn't it? I mean, Jesus has said, you, you'd gain nothing from that. Anybody can do that. Anybody can love the people who love them. No, it's a lot bigger than that. So who is my neighbor? Verse 30, Jesus replied, a man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So you can imagine the scene. There's a man, he's half dead out in the road, beat up, bleeding, bruised, been robbed. Here comes a priest, the holy guy, right? Of course the priest is going to help. What does the priest do? The priest leans bleeding. goes around way out of the way, completely neglects the man, leaves him there for dead. The priest! Oh, God help us. Pastor Robin would never do that. He'd help him out. He'd help him out. So likewise, a Levite. Now, Levites were also of the priestly line, the priestly tribe. They were supposed to uh, you know, do the service of God. They were set apart for God's service. So here's a Levite, a holy one. When he came to the place and saw him, of course the Levite's going to help, right? Nope. Came to the place, saw him, passed by on the other side, just like the priest. So here are the religious leaders. Oh, man, poor guy. Somebody will help him out. He'll call for help on his cell phone, I'm sure. He's got it. Left him there for dead. Now, a Samaritan, next, verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, this, this would cut right to the heart because Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. 
they absolutely despised each other. It was so bad that you know, Jewish people would go around Samaria to go north. They wouldn't even go through the country to be defiled by these Samaritans. And it, it was hatred, anger. And so for a Samaritan, so you got the religious leaders. The scene is amazing. And, and this guy was a, a Jewish man. They just walk on by. They don't help him. But here's the Samaritan, the enemy, the one that hates. He is the one that has compassion. And not, he not only has compassion, but he puts it to work. Look at verse 34. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. <clears throat> then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. See the sacrifice? Oil and wine, that costs something. Puts him on his own animal, takes him to an inn, cares for him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. So he has to move on, but he still wants this man cared for. Now a denarii is a day's wage. That's a lot of money. He gives him two of them, two full days wages to take care of this man. And says, anything that he needs, take care of it. And if you use that up, go ahead and give him anything he needs. And when I come back, I'll repay you. That's verse 35. Verse 36. Now, which of these, Jesus asked, do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell among the robbers? Now, of course. Right? And so he said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Compassion, mercy, love, service to your enemy. Ooh, that's the kicker, isn't it? That's the kicker, to your enemy. So this parable shows us what neighbor love really looks like. It flows all the way to loving your enemies and sacrificing your own comforts to help them. This kind of love is pretty much impossible without faith in Christ. It just is. I mean, imagine your worst enemy suffering. Just think about that. Your worst enemy, imagine that person suffering. Neighbor love says that instead of mocking them and cursing them, and crying out, ha, finally getting what they deserve. Light that up all over Facebook and social media, Instagram. Look at this, ha, ha. Getting what they deserve, ha. Share. <laughs> it's not like that. Instead of that, you go to them. And through love, serve them to meet their needs and relieve that suffering, even at great expense to you, if that's what it takes to meet the need. Man, that, that is neighbor love. And just think about that for a minute. Just let that sink in. <clears throat> that's what loving your neighbor looks like. Now, the change each one of us needs is we need to put away our pride and through love serve one another, every one of us. I'm preaching to myself. 
That's the change we need. And as I read this, I see that it seems to be closely related to what's going on in our nation today. It seems to me that the pride, that pride is the sin at the root of racism here and throughout the world. Our flesh constantly looks for ways to make us feel better than other people rather than considering others more important than ourselves. And so we set up false truths in our minds that we're better than someone because of their race or their class or their income or job level, where they went to school, where I went to school, all those different things, man. We just make, do they homeschool or public school? Do they wear this or not? We just do it. it it's in there. It's that fleshly sin in our lives. We build these false mental models in our mind that makes us think we're better than other people. God, help us. And that, that's at the root of all of these problems that we see, that pride. And we're so quick to get offended and angry these days, too, because of pride. My way's better than them. Everyone's stupid compared to me. <laughs> we don't say that, but boy, we act like it. Everyone's stupid compared to me. If they just get the, if they just do it the way I do it, boy, the whole world be perfect. Man, and then we're so quick to be offended and angry. It just seems like we're all offended and angry all the time. No, not not us, right? We don't do that. <laughs> if we were to all put our Instagram feeds right out here on the on the table, boy, we'd probably want to take some of that back. Right? Well, I didn't really, uh, I don't know about that. My Facebook post, uh, I probably shouldn't have done that one. No. But God sees it all. And it's a witness to the world. Is that a, 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 a man or a woman who loves? Or is that just an angry person? No, we need a great work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our land to humble us. We need God's people, you and me, to turn from our sin and our pride, and we need to walk in love and humility and service. And we simply need to love God and love our neighbor as ourself. And a great modern-day philosopher, Michael Jackson, once said, it starts with the man in the mirror. It starts with me. It starts with you. It starts with the person in the mirror. We always want to point fingers and change other people. Some of you are probably sitting here saying, boy, I wish so-and-so were here to hear this. <coughs> but no, it's for you. It's for me. I'm preaching this to myself. It starts with us. And so let's, let's change. Let's ask for God's help to change and lead in acts of love and mercy and compassion and grace. And let's get on our knees and pray for a great work of God to heal our land one heart at a time, starting with your own. And so we see love and service go together. If you have service with no love, you gain nothing. If you have love with no service, you benefit no one. You just have a feeling that never really demonstrates itself. 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Boy, a lot of us sound like noisy gongs and clanging cymbals to the world. 
if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And as Father's Day came around, I was thinking, you know, you get this picture of, of fathers. And doesn't that sound a lot like a, a lot of fathers? You know, we're like insisting on our own way. We're irritable, <laughs> resentful, and all these uh, arrogant sometimes, rude. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm such a mess. That's not love. <clears throat> That's not love. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So brothers and sisters, you know, if we fight against racism with all of our heart and we have no love, we're nothing. If we fight for the unborn with all of our heart and have not love, we gain nothing. Love is not optional. If you give to the poor all that you have and you don't have love, you have nothing. If you get up every morning early and read your Bible for two hours and pray and you have no love, you have nothing. If you stand up for freedom and liberty and have no love, you have nothing. Freedom flows in love from the fullness of God in your heart. Love flows out of freedom. And so it's like this. We believe in Jesus. God fills us with his spirit and his love, and it fills our hearts and souls. And it fills us up overflowing so it can flow out to love our neighbor. That's how it works. So if you try to love your neighbor, but you don't have the love of God in your heart, you have nothing to do it with. You're a dried up riverbed. It's got to come from an overflow of God's love in our own hearts flowing out to love our neighbor as ourself. If you don't have God's love filling up your heart, then, then you're going back to the way of slavery and bondage in the flesh. You're like the flesh-born child that we, we learned about last week, and th that gives you nothing but like a vacuum. That's selfishness, and it's like this selfish vacuum just constantly sucking up everything around, trying to fill itself up. I need things, I need prestige, I need reputation, I need a job, and all these things, and you're just trying to fill yourself up constantly. Vanity of vanities, it never satisfies. It's like chasing the wind. It's like a vacuum cleaner that's never satisfied. That's what selfishness and living in the flesh gets us. But when we live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, we're filled with the Spirit of God. His love overflows from our hearts, and we can love our neighbor as ourself, even our enemy. That's how it happens. And so let's be a loving person. 
As James says, let's be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Let's live the golden rule and teach others to treat each other the way we want to be treated, even our enemies. And let's just start in our own families. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. Serve her. Love her. Wives, love your husbands. Submit to their leadership in the home. Not because you have to, because all the Bible says I got to submit, so all whatever. No, because you, you desire to. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Not rolling your eyes and huffing and puffing, but because you want to. It brings you joy. Brothers and sisters, don't pick at each other and fight with each other all day long. Love each other. Be kind and compassionate to each other. When your brother's getting on your nerves, bear with him a little bit longer. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Be patient. When your sister's driving you crazy, take a deep breath. I love my sister. She's so kind passionate, merciful. Take a deep breath. Love each other. Let's just, let's start in our own families. Sometimes we, we treat our friends better than we treat our own family. That ought not to be. I mean, come on, let's love each other in the family. Then take it out to our community and in our church and in our workplace, in our schools. This is the hardest command in the Bible, and so we need God's help for it. So think about this. What do you need to change today? Just ask yourself, God, help me. What do, what do I need to change today? And ask God to change you. And if you pay attention, he'll give opportunities. He'll start working on you, and if you're paying attention, you'll see it. The Holy Spirit's conviction will come. Say, ah, 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 you're getting a little agitated there. Take a deep breath. Anger of man doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. Remember that, Ryan. Okay, okay. Help me out, God. God is faithful. This is his command. He wants us to do it. He will help us if we cry out to him. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that the central teaching of the Bible is love. Help us, Lord. Help us to love you, Jesus, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to love our neighbor as ourself. <clears throat> and help, Lord, help us so that when that happens, when we demonstrate that love, even to our enemies, the world will see that, and they will want that kind of change in themselves. That's remarkable. And so help us, God. We desperately need you. And we thank you, Jesus, for demonstrating this to us. You humbled yourself. You came and died on the cross loving even us, your enemies, giving your life for us so that through faith in you we could live. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.